0: This BYU Forum Address with Benjamin Crookston was given on July 25, 2023. Good morning and welcome to our Forum Assembly. My name is Justin Collings and I serve as BYU's Academic Vice President, and President Reese has asked me to conduct today's Forum. Today it will be our honor and pleasure to hear from Benjamin Crookston, Professor of Public Health and an Associate Dean in the College of Life Sciences. He earned a bachelor's degree in zoology and a master's degree in public health at BYU, followed by a Ph.D. in public health from the University of Utah. Prior to joining the BYU faculty, he served for two years on the faculty in the School of Medicine at the University of Utah. Dr. Crookston has spent nearly two decades conducting research with local and international non-governmental organizations in Asia, Africa, and Latin America on maternal and child health, nutrition, food security, and poverty alleviation initiatives. He is particularly interested in the long-term impacts of early childhood stunting and the potential for growth recovery later in childhood. His research has been supported by the NIH, USAID, the Gates Foundation, and DFID. Dr. Crookston is a native of Sholo, Arizona, and enjoys outdoor recreation, particularly any type of biking. He and his wife, Corey, are the parents of four children. It will now be our privilege to hear from Dr. Benjamin Crookston.
1: Good morning. I'm humbled by the opportunity to stand before you and share some perspectives on the world of global health today. I'm grateful for those who are supporting me from here and from afar. I also express thanks to family, friends, and colleagues who have thoughtfully and kindly given me feedback as I prepared to talk with you today. With so many great speeches given from this campus, my main desire is not to blow it. While I hope my message today will be appealed to a broad audience, I am particularly interested in speaking to our students and the young people of the church who are finding their way through the world at such a unique time. Several years ago, during an exceptionally tragic week in the news, my son heard a news agency report about earthquake drills taking place as part of the state's preparedness efforts. Mistaking the news report for an announcement that an actual earthquake was going to take place in the coming days, he approached me one evening, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Dad, what about the earthquake? The cumulative bad news, both real and perceived, made my six-year-old think that the walls were crumbling and that it was the end of the world as he knew it. More than 10 years later, amid pandemics, wars, and natural disasters, it is easy to believe in a similar narrative of doom and gloom. This can be especially true in a world increasingly viewed through sound bites. Social media, the internet, and other platforms have the ability to intensify short messages, for better or for worse. Over time, those doses of today's media grow like a snowball rolling downhill, having the propensity to make a narrative of gloom feel particularly heavy and burdensome. In the midst of this, one might easily be tempted to view the world like the weather in Seattle, always rainy. Or as Eeyore once said, the sky has finally fallen. Always knew it would. (laughs) However, I am thankful to report that despite our seemingly unprecedented local and global challenges, the sky is not falling. The gathering clouds are not our only forecast. There is, in fact, a very good chance of sunshine. This is not simply a glass is half full perspective. Rather, recent history suggests the world is getting far better than most people realize. During my relatively short lifetime and through my work in global health and development, I've seen tremendous improvements across the globe that are impacting lives for the better. People, even in some of the world's most vulnerable locations, are living longer and fuller lives. Let me give you a few examples of what some may find to be surprisingly hopeful trends. Since 1990, the number of childhood deaths around the world has been cut by over 60%, from nearly 13 million children per year to approximately 5 million in 2022. Think of that number for a moment. Nearly 8 million more children are surviving each year compared to 30 years ago. That is roughly equivalent to saving the entire population of the state of Utah, or the state of Washington, every year. Similarly, maternal mortality, the death of mothers during pregnancy, delivery, or after birth, has dropped by nearly half during the same time span, falling from over half a million maternal deaths in 1990 to 287,000 deaths in 2022, meaning approximately a quarter of a million more women are surviving each year than 30 years ago. This is enough mothers to fill Lavelle Edwards Stadium four times every year. We've seen tremendous progress in other areas as well. In 1966, some 10 years before I was born, roughly half of the world lived on the equivalent of $2 per day in today's currency. This is often referred to as extreme poverty. Today, less than one in 10 people live in extreme poverty, a reduction of 80% over the past half century. The immense impact of global poverty alleviation cannot be overstated as families and individuals have access to more resources. They can do more than just survive. They can thrive, contribute to their communities, and realize their potential. I provided several highlights of changes in my lifetime. Still, some of you are considerably younger than me, may wonder how much the world has changed in your lifetime. Many of our freshmen from last year and incoming freshmen this year were born in the year 2004. Since that year, HIV deaths has declined by two-thirds Malaria deaths have declined by approximately one-third, and tobacco use has declined by approximately 30%. Not bad for positive trends in your lifetime. While not meant to be exhaustive, these health statistics combine to provide a hopeful view of the world that's contrary to the gloom that many may be persuaded to hold. This news is a reminder that things, really important things, like maternal and child survival, are not just getting better, they have dramatically improved. It is also a reminder that there is great value in seeing the good news in life as easily as we see the negative narratives that persist. These dramatic improvements did not happen spontaneously. They came about for numerous reasons. Dedicated professionals, better governance and policy, focused efforts, and a number of other factors have combined over the past few decades to make the world far better than it was a short time ago. Technology has also played an important role in recent successes, including some incredibly simple technologies that have turned back massive storm clouds in health. For example, I am holding up a little packet in my hand of what is essentially powdered Gatorade. In many settings, this is known as oral rehydration salts, or ORS. This simple powder, when combined with clean water, can help hydrate a child during chronic episodes of diarrhea, one of the most common causes of child death. A study in the British Medical Journal found that these little packets saved the lives of more than 50 million children under the ages of five years of age during the 25-year span beginning in the 1980s. In total, it is believed that ORS has saved more than 70 million lives since its inception in the 70s. That is a lot of lives. Another simple intervention, a bed net, provides a sleeping space safe from mosquitoes that transmit malaria, dengue, and other mosquito-borne illnesses. Bed nets combined with prompt treatment and indoor residual spraying have been instrumental in churning the tide of malaria over the past two decades. In fact, recent research suggests that the Malaria Control Campaign, anchored by the use of bed nets, has saved more than 7 million lives from malaria since the early 2000s alone saving the lives of hundreds of thousands of children each year. While more resource and research intensive, vaccines have also helped to change the landscape of child health. Take measles, for example. Before the development of the measles vaccine, measles claimed the lives of approximately 2.5 million children per year in the 1960s. Measles now accounts for only a little over 100,000 childhood deaths per year. The measles vaccine alone is estimated to have saved more than 50 million lives just in the 2000s. Other childhood vaccines coupled with the measles vaccine are collectively responsible for saving four million child lives per year. Perhaps one of the greatest predictors of successful individuals and households is education. Even basic education has major impacts on family, health, and well-being. For example, in low-income settings, when a mother can read and write, her child is 36% more likely to survive to their fifth birthday than a child born to a mother who is illiterate. Further, a girl who receives basic education is less likely to marry before she turns 18, more likely to earn a higher income, and ultimately take part in decisions that have lasting impacts on her family. Thankfully, education is improving globally. Since I was born, female literacy has improved by almost 40%. Other improvements have also had significant impacts on health. Access to safe drinking water has increased by 20% since 2000, while access to sanitation services has nearly doubled during that same period of time. Policies that promote better health, such as seatbelt use and indoor, indoor, clean indoor air laws, have further reduced deaths from traffic accidents and indoor smoke substantially. Finally, improvements in infant and young child feeding, use of lipid-based nutrition supplements, and the supplementation of vitamin A in low-income settings has contributed to significant reductions of child undernutrition. These tremendous successes in global health, education, and poverty alleviation are inspiring. However, I would quickly acknowledge that the world is not all rainbows and unicorns. Nearly 5 million children still die each year before their fifth birthday. More than a quarter of a million women still die during pregnancy or childbirth, and more than 100 million children still suffer from undernutrition. These health conditions, which are rare in high-income countries, should not happen in today's world. In addition, each lost life has a tremendous impact on families and households. What's more, these deaths hinder development and progress among the poorest populations in the world where extreme poverty still impacts over 700 million people. Further, we live in a world where a person's zip code is more predictive of their health than their genetic code. Mountains of research have shown that where you live and work, your access to education, your race and gender, and the sum of your bank account all greatly impact your chances for a healthy life filled with opportunity. And in case we think we have the upper hand against disease in high-income countries, a recent pandemic provided a profound demonstration of how vulnerable we all are in the diseases of our day. So yes, our lifetimes have been marked by tremendous global health successes. At the same time, it is not a contradiction to say that disease, death, and poverty still plague too much of the world. My point today is to suggest that to only focus on the bad news misses the great leap forward that has happened in the past few decades. As the great Swedish economist Hans Rosling said so well, remember, things can be bad and getting better. Nephi made a similar point when he said "Both that he had both seen many afflictions in his days, but also had lived after the manner of happiness. So let us be hopeful by our past successes while recognizing there is work left to do. Several years ago, I was asked by a stranger why I travel to countries around the world to try to address global health challenges. The stranger said, don't we have enough problems here? I've I have considered this question many times since. It is certainly true that we have plenty of problems here. It is also true that the vast majority of maternal and child mortality take place far from here. Over time, I realized believing one must choose one or the other is really a false dichotomy. Choosing choosing global health or domestic health is not an either-or proposition. Just as you pedal a bicycle pushing on both pedals to maximize momentum, addressing issues domestically while also focusing on global concerns provides the greatest returns. After all, the world is smaller than ever, and we are connected as global citizens today more than at any time in our history. If I could go back in time, I would tell the stranger that where we work is not nearly as important as how we work, to address inequalities and to serve those in greatest need. Our own circumstances, expertise, and resources will guide us in determining our location. Among my own experiences working in several locations around the world in global health, the time I spent working on an American Indian reservation was among the most moving and impactful professional experiences I have ever had. So it is easy to say, just serve where you can. Still, many are unsure where to start. You might ask yourself, how can I get involved? Or how can I reach those in the most vulnerable situations in the world? Mother Teresa said, I cannot change the world alone, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Like Mother Teresa's stones, I propose five actions we might make to start from wherever we are as we seek to create the consequential ripples across the waters of our local and global communities. First, choose to love. Second, choose to understand. Third, choose to change. Fourth, choose to support. And fifth, choose to participate. First, choose to love others. Love of others is the basis for the first two Great Commandments and the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love is powerful when it starts locally and expands circle by circle, ripple by ripple. It's all those we come across. Love is particularly powerful when it opens our eyes to see those who are living in the margins of our local and global societies, those who spend much of life unseen. The Savior's teachings on this kind of love have always inspired me. He said, "For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat; I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink; I was a stranger, and ye took me in; naked, and ye clothed me; I was sick, and ye visited me; I was in prison, and ye came unto me." Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, "Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, and fed thee; or thirsty, and gave thee drink?" When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the King shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me." For me, global health is a latter-day effort to love the least of these. I suspect we all have been impacted by acts of love that have lifted us during the most, our most vulnerable times. Sometimes even simple, genuine acts can have a profound influence on our own trajectories. Perhaps a personal example will help you think of your own experiences with loving others and the power of being loved. My fortunate old daughter Chloe has special needs. A genetic condition known as DDX3X has caused her to have anything but a normal earthly experience. While most children start walking around the age of one, Chloe didn't walk until she was four years old. She says only a handful of words, and she struggles with cognitive and physical challenges that most three to four year olds breeze through. With her condition, Chloe has never really had friends like her other children. Birthday parties have always consisted of family celebrating her, but have noticeably lacked rooms filled with friends from the neighborhood and school. Shortly after moving to a new neighborhood when Chloe was young, we began receiving an annual knock on our front door. Taylor, a young man from up the street, who's the same age as Chloe, began showing up each fall on her birthday with a present. Each year, he would arrive again, a few inches taller, with a new birthday present. And each year, he it would typically be the only friend present she would get. Over time, those gifts meant more and more to me and our family. You see, special needs parents often grieve for the life that their child may never have. Hence, acts of kindness that provide normalcy to their child's otherwise abnormal experience are more precious than gold. Taylor's gift to her was much more than just a doll or a book. His gift was a reminder to me that beyond bed nets, medicines, and vaccines, the real gift we give others who are waiting through difficult times is the gift of love. Letting them know that we see them, that we value them, and that we're better because of them. And we are grateful to share part of their journey. Our love of others and our motivation to help uh, them is an important first step. However, our second step is also critical. My second suggestion is to build on that love by choosing to understand. Specifically in this case, case, choose to understand the world of global health and development. Good intentions are simply not enough. We need to go out and gain real understanding and gaining additional insights, we'll be following that common campus refrain, enter to learn, go forth to serve. While learning is not always a prerequisite to doing, expertise is important when working on life and death matters. I'm reminded of a clever marketing campaign for a hotel chain that showed normal people performing brain surgery and other complex problems. When complimented on their ability to perform the challenging task, the person would humorously reply that they were not an expert but had stayed at a particular ho- chain, hotel chain the night before. Just as staying in a particular hotel does not qualify us to solve sophisticated problems, simply having a passion for others does not qualify us to become global health practitioners. We must acquire the necessary learning to become qualified. so that we can provide the appropriate solutions and technologies that are needed to save lives. One can gain understanding in a variety of ways. For example, there are dozens and dozens of thoughtful books and talks on development and health. Also, there are numerous podcasts, including our own Why Health podcast here on campus, that explore efforts to address the health of communities and nations. And we need not look at only one discipline for direction either. Thankfully, there are many disciplines working to make the world safer and healthier. While my field of public health is a common one involved in this work, I regularly work with sociologists, economists, and engineers, just to name a few. There is no one discipline that has the copyright for kindness and love for their fellow man. Further, it is often when these disciplines work together, uniting their strengths, that they do the most good. And lest we think that gaining understanding is only for 20-somethings, I would inform you that many of my very best students over the past 20 years have been more than 20 years past their 20s. I applaud those who courageously seek to learn anew so that they might contribute to society in new ways. Third, with the foundation of love and a deeper understanding of global health, I propose we next consider choosing to change ourselves. John C. Maxwell said, most people want to change the world to improve their lives. But the world they need to change first is the one inside themselves. A similar yet more succinct version of this quote uh, has often been attributed to Gandhi when he said, be the change you want to see in the world. While there's some discussion as to whether Gandhi said these exact words, I think most of us can agree that change begins with us. As a discipline, global health is centered on efforts to change. We try to transform behaviors, circumstances, and outcomes for the better. For example, we try to encourage people to eat better foods, to wash their hands with soap, or give birth with a qualified healthcare professional. Some changes are simple and seemingly easy, while others are less straightforward and hard to embrace. No wonder then that understanding change from both a theoretical and a personal perspective is important. When we have put in the effort to improve ourselves, whether we are working to strengthen our own physical and emotional health or mending a relationship, we operate with more empathy and confidence in in helping others to progress. After all, it is hard to ask others to change, even for the better, when we have not paid the price to be the very best versions versions of ourselves. Ultimately, our example of seeking to improve ourselves May have as much or more influence among those we work with as many of the health technologies of the day. Fourth point, choose to support. Choose to support organizations doing good around the world. For many of us, our current obligations and responsibilities, our lack of expertise and other circumstances may prevent us from dropping everything and diving into global health with our entire attention. Fortunately, that does not mean we cannot be involved we can still choose to support amazing organizations and people working in global health and development, regardless of our current circumstances. Organizations can create a positive change with the support of generous people who are determined to put resources in the hands of those best positioned to do good. Consider the immense power for good that the Church's fast offerings and humanitarian support provide through countless donations, large and small. When we give to these programs, we bless the lives of saints and neighbors around the world in everything from water projects to neonatal resuscitation training to providing wheelchairs and much, much more. Similarly, there are numerous nonprofit organizations, including local ones, that address undernutrition globally, improve maternal and child health, and work to alleviate poverty. Perhaps an example of how a typical large-scale global health program works would be helpful. Several years ago, a partner organization approached me and two colleagues of mine here at BYU to ask if we would help evaluate a large child nutrition project serving more than 10 million people in northern Tanzania. This project consisted of the Ministry of Health in Tanzania, local partners in the communities where the program took place, and an American nonprofit health organization along with us here on campus. The program coupled mass media messages through radio and TV with local support through community health volunteers and clinics to improve child nutrition and development. The program committed to working with with local partners and communities for five years, believing that a sustained comprehensive effort would result in significant reductions in child malnutrition. One of the local partners and champions of the project was Sister Margaret, a Catholic nun living in northern Tanzania who has committed her life to building communities through education, love, and kindness. She is compassionate, generous, and selfless, a Tanzanian Mother Teresa. At only five foot two, her influence towers over most in the field of global health. As a local partner on the project, she worked with a cadre of trained community health volunteers to educate mothers and fathers on the importance of child health and nutrition. Her work focused on addressing local customs to improve hygiene, sanitation, and child feeding. They used several techniques to reach millions of families through media, outreach, support groups, and facility based health counseling. The five year program saw substantial improvements in knowledge, attitudes, and practices related to child health and nutrition, and regional reductions in undernutrition among children living in northern Tanzania. Sister Margaret and the thousands of other community volunteers and leaders participating in this project demonstrated the power of a well-designed and organized health intervention to lift communities. One might ask, how do you know which organizations to support? Not every organization is changing the world, but I would argue that many are earnestly doing what they can. When considering who you might support, may I suggest three factors to consider. First. Find out the true impacts of their work. Discerning supporters look at the fruits of organizations as much as they look at the pictures on their website. Fruits are more than just reporting how many clean birth kits and meals were delivered, though those measures are important. Long-term fruits will consider whether programs, program services really delivered as promised, and that families really are healthier as a result. Second, ensure programs are research-based. Organizations that follow the evidence are more likely to deliver programs that have real and lasting impact. Lastly, support organizations and initiatives which show a sustained commitment to the communities they serve. Projects and programs that show up one day and a short time later are gone a short time later may be well intentioned, but oftentimes leave a tidal wave of unintended consequences in their wake. My last point choose to participate. First locally, and then expanding outward. There are so many opportunities to get involved in our own backyards, and have both positive and lo- have both positive and local implications. Uh, from homeless shelters to soup kitchens, from working with organizations helping resettle refugees to those trying to improve the lives of individuals and families impacted by abuse, opportunities to give of our time and resources to address local challenges are plentiful. Students should consider using Why Serve to find opportunities to share their unique skills with those in their community. Church members and neighbors will find that JustServe.org provides a great platform to find and engage with local groups in an effort to serve the least of these. Local involvement will build our ability to lift globally as well. It will connect us with humanity in meaningful ways and ground us in the things that really matter. We can all lift where we stand. Don't wait until conditions are just right to serve. Find your own opportunities, recognizing that no act of service should be dismissed because it is too small, too typical, or too unlikely to be posted about on social media. Beyond acts of compassionate service, some of you will choose to participate professionally as you develop and use skills to lift humanity. Perhaps you will establish even better ways to reliably bring clean water to populations in need. Perhaps you'll create new approaches to deliver needed health and educational services to remote areas, or perhaps you'll develop new vaccines. Regardless, a new generation of professionals, including some of you, will transform global health further as you improve on the great work that has been done thus far to address the challenges that still persist. In conclusion, I hope you'll walk away from today's discussion with renewed hope for the future and a belief that despite the rain clouds and negative news that typically dominate the headlines, we've been blessed with a great deal of sunshine and good news. These hopeful trends, combined with the extraordinary influence of the light of the restored gospel, give me confidence we will continue to tackle the great challenges of our day with both optimism and action. As we continue to put our shoulder to the wheel to climb the mountains that remain, let us push together knowing that we never truly push alone when we are involved in a good cause. After all, we have long been taught that in such causes, they that be with us will always be more than they that be with them, regardless of how bleak the outlook may be at the time. To our incredible students and my young friends of the Church, you are not sent here to dwell in virtual valleys. I have faith in you as the generation that will lead us to new mountaintops. Please believe that the future—your future—has never been brighter. Take confidence in President Russell and Nelson's words. The best is yet to come for those who spend their lives building up others. I add my testimony to the countless heartfelt witnesses shared on this campus in worship services, classrooms, and devotionals. I love the Lord. He lives. He is the hope of Israel, indeed of the whole world. I am forever grateful for this university, where we may worship and honor Him. May we lift others, particularly the least of these, as He has lifted us, is my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: This BYU Forum Address with Benjamin Crookston was given on July 25th, 2023. BYU Forums are a production of BYU Broadcasting.